Students often do not see themselves as having the potential to become the experts that will define their field. In this episode, we discuss a podcast project designed to supplement class activities and connect students with professionals. Thanks for joining us for Tea for Teaching, an informal discussion of innovative and effective practices in teaching and learning. This podcast series is hosted by John Kane, an economist, and Rebecca Mushter, a graphic designer, and features guests doing important research and advocacy work to make higher education more inclusive and supportive of all learners. Our guest today is Francisco Suarez. Francisco is an assistant professor of communication studies at SUNY Oswego and is a host of From Suarez's Basement, a video podcast that was a recipient of the 2021 Communicator Award of Excellence by the Academy of Interactive and Visual Arts. Welcome, Francisco. <laughs> Thank you for having me. This is awesome. I'm glad to be here. Today's teas are, Francisco, are you drinking tea? I'm drinking a delicious tea. It's an imaginary tea. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I have this beautiful teacup that I'm opening right now. Sorry for the sound. That say tea for teaching, which is the name of the podcast. And yeah, having a delicious hot tea. <laughs> <laughs> and I am drinking a cranberry blood orange black tea from the Republic of Tea. Oh, that sounds nice. I don't think I've had that one, John. We have plenty of it. I'm sure I could stop by and get some. How about you? I have just an English breakfast today, I think. No, yes. It's been a long day already. Yeah, I think it's awake tea, which I think it is English breakfast. It has a name called awake, but it is technically an English breakfast tea. That was way more information than anybody needs. We've invited you here to discuss your video podcast. Could you tell us a little bit about the focus of the podcast? Sure. First, thank you for having me. It's always good to be between friends. And this is a very cozy environment, actually, I have to say. We're having tea. Well, from Suarez's basement, like you can imagine, <laughs> he was creating the basement of my house during the pandemic. I was trying to find something to do to don't go crazy or make my family more crazy than we already were talking at home and to put my creativity to work. So I decided to start a podcast that have to do with experts in the communication media and the arts, visual storytelling in specific, because that's what I love. And the idea was to create bridges between experts in those fields and the audience, which is very much concentrating students and faculty. That doesn't mean that the podcast doesn't have a general audience. So I started in the basement of my house, very small, like everything that we start with a small idea. And having grow very much, which I love it. And again, we have conversation with those experts that are working behind some of your favorite TV shows or films, brother shows, artists, musicians, you name it. Anybody who can bring me a good conversation, that's what I'm interested in. You can sometimes have guests like me talk a lot or guests that don't talk a lot, nothing, zero. But that's how we start. And you mentioned that you started it during the pandemic to keep those around you from going crazy and yourself <laughs> yes. uh, not to go crazy. But clearly you had some other motivations, yes. probably around students and things. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. The part of not going crazy is the joke part. The serious part about the podcast is that I believe very much in the interaction of my students with the professionals in the field. I'm in love with education. I'm in love with the process of mentoring the students. So to give this opportunity to students to have conversation with 
cinematographers and set design, costume design, you name it, was always the intention to create this connection between the students and those experts. Because you know, the funny part, we all are professors here. A lot of our students sit in those chairs and they never realize that that person that you admire so much was one sitting in that chair too. They see it so far away. It's like, oh my God, I'm going to talk to the set designer of Bridgerton. It's like, wow, this is amazing. Like, but this person was you in some point in life. So if we can create that connection, I think that's what is the beauty of the podcast is to see the students realizing that that person at the other end is not much different than you. So the motivation is to really keep my students engaged and optimistic about the future, especially when the pandemic hit. I think we all were not very optimistic, but students in general were like, okay, what is the career it's going to be? Where I'm going to find a job? So I say, if these people that are actually working in this industry can give some kind of wisdom to the students, I think they will feel a little more better than things will get better. So that's how it started, but again, little by little had grow. So it's all about education, connection, networking, and created that sense of belonging to industry. That's what I like. I know one of the things that John and I experienced when we started this podcast is we started with some of our local colleagues and started branching out. And then we were continuously surprised by how many people would agree to come on to share their experience and expertise. And you've had some really wonderful guests on your podcast. Can you talk a little bit about what that experience has been like? Yeah, it's been fantastic. I cannot say who is coming season five, but now I'm just recording season five. And I have this amazing conversation with a Grammy Award winning singer. And I was like, I cannot believe I'm talking to this person. But not only that, it's a conversation that makes it so special. Truly, truly special. So how that happened is like everything, right? It's true. When I start my first guest, and all my guests are important, but what I'm saying were people that I knew, friends, professors from here, from Sunio Spigo, and until I start getting that point where I, my first big guest was the production designer for Game of Thrones. She's not only produced Game of Thrones, but a lot of other TV shows and, and movies. So she was a big deal. And because of her, then other people start following her. I think, and this is important, because the podcast have an educational component to it, that make a big difference. When I send the emails to the managers or the agents of these experts, I'm always very clear, this is not about just gossiping. I don't want to know if you broke up with your boyfriend or whatever. This is about, I wanted to understand that this is an educational tool. And I think that educational component has allowed this very prestige guest to say, you know what, I can take 20, 25 minutes of my time and be sure that I can contribute to the education of the listeners of the podcast. So little by little have been growing. And as soon as you get kind of a big one, then other ones start following. But like I say, for me, the titles, if you want to call it titles or awards or not necessarily is the attractive aspect. Is this guest someone who is going to give me a good conversation and that I'm going to learn something new from it? So you can have Oscar winners and Grammy winners and Emmy winners and all this stuff. But in fact, I'm not going to say who, but I was very excited about this guest. I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. Um, uh, it was so difficult. <laughs> dry, dry, like yes or no answers. In fact, in some point, I was doubting to air the podcast because it really wasn't too much there. But again, I say, well, it's a big name. Like, it will bring other people into the equation. So I did air it. You can guess. What I'm saying is that 
you never know what you're going to get, but the process of getting these precise experts are getting easier because of the educational component of the podcast and because now the list is getting better and better. One of the things we found following up on this was that we had a few big guests, as you did, that brought in a much larger audience. But one thing that really amazed us was how many people would agree. I found it much more difficult to get some of our own faculty and the people we know to join than people we've never met. That surprised me quite a bit in terms of how many people agreed to be on it. Do you get a lot of positive responses? Yes and no. I sent around 20 emails. From those 20 emails, I get around three. So that's the average, more or less. So it takes me 20 emails to get three of the possible guests. And then it's a back and forth between agent and manager and then time commitment. So it's difficult in that sense. But I get around three from 20 emails that I send. And then from people that are my friends and now that the podcast is growing, they're the ones like, oh, I can be in your podcast. Like, I would have to talk about this and that. I found people from the UK that are big, big, big in their field. I just interviewed the director of Ted Lasso, which is one of my favorite shows right now. He's from Ireland, actually. The sweetest guy ever. And he was so humble, so easy to talk. So for some reason... Some people from the UK seems to be very approachable in compared with maybe some people here in the US where it's like, oh, he doesn't have the time or she doesn't have the time or they don't have the time, like email us in three months. And I do. In three months, I'm going to be emailing you. It's cool to see a students like, oh, Professor Soros, how are you? You say, because I told you, nothing is impossible. Like, that is the point. If you ask this question to yourself, and I say this to a lot of my students, like one advice, what I have to lose? And the answer is probably nothing. I don't understand why you would not do it. So I don't have nothing to lose to send an email to Tom Hans. Or what is that I can get? No, he's too busy, which I probably he is. But you will be surprised. Maybe the guy is like, well, yeah, sure. I can get 20 minutes to talk to this crazy Latino guy. I don't know. But I don't have nothing to lose, right? And that is the beauty of it. When students see reflecting themselves into the process, that it's true. There's not much that you can lose. How have you used your podcast and teaching and within your department? The teaching aspect is that if you go to the website, which is fsspaceman.com, we have there a tab that is called teaching resources. What I do is that I record both. I record video and I record audio in the two formats. Those videos are being used already by faculty members, not only in my department, but outside at Sunio Spigo which is also very exciting when I get an email from a professor from NYU or from USA or any other university to say, hey, you know, I'm loving what you're doing. I'm going to show your podcast about production design or set design in my set design class. Because the amount of knowledge that is combined in those 30 minutes is amazing. It really is. My goal is hopefully to write a book, not necessarily about podcasting, but about the knowledge absorbed to those, we are now season five, so we're going to have already like 60 episodes already produced. But I asked, for example, one of the questions that I asked to the guests, that is a common question, is about perseverance and rejection. And it's so cool to hear so many different guests talking about how they deal with rejection and what it means to persevere in an industry that you must have that in you. So it's a lot of knowledge there that for me, I want to be sure that the podcast doesn't end just with the first air of the podcast, 
So professors of any university can go to the website, go into the tab of teaching resources, and they can find by category. If you teach cinematography, it's a bunch of videos there with cinematography. If you teach set design, it's a bunch of videos of set design. So allow easy access to these interviews. They're more or less a short masterclass. I think it's great. Do you use assignments with your classes based on the podcast? And if so, what types of learning activities do you use? And in fact, if you go to that tab, not only I give you the video, but I give you already what you can do in your class. So it's basically you go there and you have a whole day of lecture where you can watch the video and then you say, okay, you can do these activities based in what the video is about it. So if you go there, you not only have the video, but you have activities or questions related to the video. You can do kind of a short quiz of, okay, what did you learn through this video? So the questions are already there. The actual episodes have the questions that we did in the episode. So if you are a professor and you're looking for a specific question about how to build a set in the desert, you probably will find it there and you just can use that piece of information for it. So each of the episodes have an assignment, put it that way. It is a lot of work because we need to pull apart the episode and be sure that what is here, where were the questions, what kind of assignments we can do. It's it's a lot of work, but I love it. That's exactly what the podcast is about. Well, with all those nice assets that you have going with the podcast, I imagine that's why you've decided to do seasons (laughs) to help manage that a little bit. Here's the thing. The market is telling you, I want my podcast delivery very much at the same day, same time, with these timing periods, our podcast is bi-weekly, so it's every two weeks that come out. But having seasons allow me to say, okay, we need to get a break. Normally, the break is during the semester because I'm too busy with other stuff. And then I use summer and part of the fall semester to do everything I have to do with production, post-production. And then I accumulate, let's say, around 12 episodes. I try, of course, that information is not by a specific time. So we don't talk about things that happen necessarily in a specific week or month or things like that. So I can air the episode six months later if I want. But yeah, I like it. I like to talk like you can see. <laughs> so it's perfect for me. <laughs> We're still on our first season. Yeah. It's been a very, very long season. We did have a break last summer, literally, actually, when a car ran over my leg and broke it. So we took four weeks off for that. First four weeks ever, John. The only time we've ever missed publishing an episode. It's nice to be back on track. Times of break would be appealing, but it's still fun. So we're still doing it. There was a design education podcast that I listened to a lot that it wasn't video, but it has a similar kind of feel to your podcast that I used to use all the time when I was teaching our capstone class. And I'd pull out like portfolio ideas and Mm -hmm. application ideas and like collate little snippets from various things. And students really responded to hearing someone else say the same things that I would have said anyways. That is always the case, right? (laughs) It's crazy. (laughs) It is, it is. Listen, it's no easy job, but for me, the hard part is not the production process, it's more the breaking noise process. Because of digital era, we are very lucky to be sitting here and having a great conversation. And for me, podcast is the new mass communication, the way for people to be able to express themselves. I always say it's not about quantity, it's about quality. Doesn't matter if you have 200 listeners to 2,000, as long as those 200 listeners come to you every week, that's what you're looking for. 
But the issue is that because of the digital era, it's so much noise out there. Unbelievable amount of noise. So I think I spend more time sometimes not even producing and getting the guests and all this stuff is how I'm guaranteed that these awesome interviews I have with any of my guests can reach where I want you to reach. So the whole TikTok and Instagram and is quite a lot. Because again, it's a lot of noise out there. So you need to figure out what is the best way to reach your audience for sure. You talked a little bit about how these podcasts can be used in classes. How have students responded in your classes to the podcast? Very good. I think very good for two reasons. First, because again, the main goal of the podcast is to create a bridge between the experts and the students. And the actual episode brings so much knowledge to the students. But I do think it's something very special when students see his own professor struggling with a project and putting the time and the effort in that project. It's almost like I'm walking the walk, I think is how you say here, right? Mm -hmm. I think that created a student a sense of, okay, this guy is also trying to get to a goal, to a specific dream that I have. So I think that created a very interesting relationship with your students. I don't talk about how you do your podcast in the sense of my own experience, but not in the sense of what the theoretical aspect an academic aspect of the podcast is, but by my own experience. So that created a different type of relationship with your students, but they have been reacting very well. I put them, I don't overdo it because I feel also like, okay, this guy is like so full of himself. Now he wants me to watch every single episode. But when it's an episode, for example, in my screenwriting class, it's two episodes there that for me are goal. One is with the writer of Only Murders in the Building. He's the co-creator and writer of it. And he explained very interestingly how to write for a crime show and how it works. And then the other one was, he's a creator and writer of Inside Number Nine, which is a British show, which is fantastic. And he has been in the business for so many years. And he gave a lot of good, good information about character development, what it means to develop your character first before you develop your plot. So I use those episode has an amazing way for them to be able to get that information from these experts. So then I test them the next day, they have like a short quiz about it, just to be sure that they really watch or listen to the podcast. So they have been reacting quite well. One of the assignments I do in my screenwriting class is that they need to write an episode of sign number nine, based on what they learn from the actual creator of the show. And that worked really, really well. It's very interesting to see what they write. The whole premise of the show is episodical, so it means each episode is a different story, so they don't match. But one of the things about the show is that it always takes place in one specific location. So there is no switching location. So it can be inside number nine, can be inside warehouse number nine, or inside airplane number nine. So all the, the plot takes place inside that space. And that's very difficult to do. <laughs> and they are brilliant. The stories are fantastic. So I 100% recommend that. What are you watching in these days? I don't you watch know? much TV. <laughs> Not a good conversation. I don't watch much TV. <laughs> I don't either, but only murders in the building was a real Do you like show. it? Yeah, it's I'm amazing. very much looking forward to the third yeah, season. Yeah, I'm very looking forward to it too. It's very well written. Meryl Streep is going to be on the third season. Yeah. The target audience isn't like five-year-olds. I'm not watching it, you know? <laughs> it might very well work, though, because you've got Steve Martin there. And right. you have... Martin Short, yes, yes. 
and Selena Gomez, which has been a revelation to me how good of an actress she is, but also love to see her interacting with these more mature actors. And it's a great, great show. I am a TV junker because, well, first, that's what I teach. <laughs> but I watch from reality TV to you name it. And the beauty of it is that stream media have allowed openness of storytelling that we didn't have before. Maybe a little oversaturated at this point, but it's still, I think, for our students here at Sunios Big or any students who want to pursue storytelling, visual storytelling is a fantastic time because 20 years ago, maybe, the hallway was very narrow. You go to NBC, CBS, the regular networks, now it's like hunting season, all this Apple TV and Hulu are looking for new content and that allow our students who want to pursue that to have a better opportunity to tell the stories that we didn't have before. Certainly an exciting time to be in that field. It is, it is. I watch a lot of things and sometimes I'm amazed. It's almost like watching mini films, the production value. Well, Game of Thrones is a good example of a brilliant production design where I always say, in order for you to have a good visual storytelling, you need three aspects. Good writing, good acting, and good production value. If one of those three aspects are not present fully in their full potential, you lost me as an audience. So writing, I start watching shows where someone's like, damn, it's bad writing. Like the way the characters are talking feel very cheesy. Then acting, well, we know what acting does, right? You can really have a beautiful script, but if I don't believe that you are rocking hard, oh, I'm out. And then production design, I say, well, if the dragon doesn't look like a dragon, I'm out. So it's the combination of those three things. And I think what I try to teach in my classes is that depending on the class, right? If you are in the script writing class, you are concentrated in the script writing aspect. But if you are in the video production, it's not only about how to frame, it's not only about how to shoot, it's the production value. And I love when students get out of their dorms because I say, I don't want to see the lake. Please don't show me the lake. I see the lake too many times at this point and try to film your stuff outside your dorm room. So it feel real. So, of course, they need to work harder and they need to go to downtown to a diner and ask for permission to record a dating scene in the diner. But I say, well, that makes a huge difference. It's not the same to record a dating scene in Lake Effect Cafe here in Campus Ground going to an actual diner. Create a different reality. So anyway, that's my approach, but that's what I love so much watching TV to actually pick in those things. Yeah, I can imagine students really digging the idea of getting to hear from a writer or a producer or a set designer and then doing a project based on what they're saying, because it does provide that frame for something that feels real. Yes. And not forced, which I think a lot of students struggle with. Yeah. The other thing that I think is important is that I try to have co-hosts in the show and I invite students to be part of the co-hosting because they bring a completely different perspective. I could have my very fancy, intelligent questions, I guess, but the students really have other questions that actually I'm, sometimes surprise me. It's like, wow, this is such a good question. So bringing students is really important for me to have those co-hosts. And the beauty of it is that I do have three examples at this point of students who has been co-hosting my shows, and these three students are now working for the guests. Because that relationship established, because the guest was so impressed with the questions and the tutority of the co-host, 
I love it when somebody for sure you're going to believe it. I'm going to do an internship with blah blah blah, and then they call me and say, by the way, I'm actually now working full time as a editor. I have a student who's doing a first set design, or called a set design assistant for some shows in NBC. But that bridge was because of the podcast, and that's what it's all about. In the website, actually, is the final tap of the website is something called mentoring program where students can sign. Has somebody who is looking for a mentor, but also my guest can sign as a mentoree, so they can actually dedicate forty minutes of a Zoom meeting with some of these students. So it's all about creating this community, and, and you're a good example. The podcast is just a tip of the iceberg. It's just a sense of communication, but it's about creating a community of people who love education, who are in education and academia, and so. I think that sense of community is very important for me. We always end with the question, "What's next?" What is next? That is a great question. I want to find other platforms to distribution of the podcast. That is very important to me. So more people that I can reach, the better. I think that's a goal that we all podcaster has. Not for the sense of the quantity again; is for the sense of the quality. Now, Francois Basement is a PBS WCNY radio station, which is great because it's giving a huge platform of people listening to it.、Uh, of course, it's in the regular Apple Podcasts and Spotify and those kind of regular things. But I would like to see if I can get all the kind of distribution, especially the visual aspect of it, to see if we can put those videos to work in another way. But more than that, my inspirations is to be persistent, to keep going. I think that is important. I think that this project in specific are teaching me that if you put the hard work and you keep going, it get back to you. And I think students in this day or this generation in general, we are living in a time where immediate gratification is all about. You post something and you get two hundred likes in two seconds. So they feel like, oh, if I don't get two hundred likes or if I don't get two hundred followers or I'm going to drop this. This doesn't work. And then I say, no,、oh, actually, that's not how it works. When you say what is next, is to remind myself that this is a long trip, and I'm willing to go into that trip and see what cool things come on my way, awards or new guests, or being here with you guys. But what is next? I'm not sure. Hopefully, again, reach more audience, and that the podcast is used more and more by other universities. And the book. I want to write a book again, not necessarily about how to podcast. It's so many books already out there about podcasting and what kind of equipment do you need. I want a book that brings the experience of these experts into a text that, if you read it, you can learn very much from these interviews for sure. Well, thanks so much for sharing this great project with us. No, thank you for having me. This is fantastic, and I'm loving my imaginary tea here. <laughs> <laughs> If you've enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your favorite podcast service. To continue the conversation, join us on our Tea for Teaching Facebook page. You can find show notes, transcripts, and other materials on teaforteaching.com. Music by Michael Gary Brewer. <laughs>